0: That kid is back on the escalator again.
1: Yes, ma'am. Sandy, you're the only person I know who can make yes, ma'am sound like screw you. Yes, ma'am. All I want is a refund. Refund! Refund! Are you crazy? Refund! 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 Hello. This is a
0: demonstration of a talking picture. No.
1: nothing means nothing nothing means nothing yeah i'm talking about all the way to the top yeah unjustifiably in position i'd rather not be in but the cream will rise to the top oh yeah so i i use that because just that's part because the rest of it is just an entire run-on sentence of words so but with that being said, welcome to the first episode of the Talking Pictures Podcast. I am your co-host, uh, Jake Lundberg, and with me is my other co-host, <laughs> <me do> that. <laughs> uh, Leonard
0: Robert. How'd I do that time? I can say that you were close, but you were somewhere in the area, in the neighborhood. Uh so, hello everyone. I'm Leonard Robert. I'm your host or co-host from Belgium. I want to apologize about my accent. I'm working on it. And you know what?
1: If you don't like that, that's too bad. Because he's he's pretty good at it. <laughs> How are you doing, buddy?
0: I'm doing fine. It's uh, you know it's almost Christmas Eve. This, this episode is gonna go out a bit later than that
1: yeah that's when we're recording about the week of christmas i
0: think it's i mean it's sunday so the week before christmas
1: yeah that's what i meant to say
0: um so tell, tell all the listeners about what this podcast is jake
1: well it's a podcast first of all didn't know if they knew that because it's in the name
0: yeah. Um, it's podcast about movies which I think is a very novel idea. Yeah, no one has ever done that before.
1: And you know, you know what the internet needs, Leonard? Two more white guys talking about movies on a podcast.
0: Yeah, I I think that's a real gap in the marketplace. Yeah.
1: It's just it's the the um market is just screaming for it.
0: Um white male representation. Yes. I, I just want to make sure that even though Jake here is from Indiana, we're not like proud boys or anything. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, no, being from Indiana does not make me a proud boy. Um,
0: yeah, I want to make sure of that.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> I, like Walt Whitman, contain multitudes. So, yes, I'm not you just sh- your...
0: You should look at him right now, looking like Peter Jackson with a uh, black D on. <laughs> <laughs> it's old man. And I'm looking like a sickly Victorian child.
1: <laughs> oh man, I love it. Um, so you and I are friends.
0: Somewhat, yeah, something yeah. that should resemble that. But <laughs> like we have never met, but I no. talk to you more than most other people in my life.
1: Yeah, I'd say about the same. We talk pretty much like every day yeah so
0: um i don't think we have stopped talking to each other every day since we started
1: when did we start uh uh talking our d- as friends again our you daily remember.
0: chats were in like june this year <sighs> man and that since then like I, just... you haven't left me alone <laughs>
1: it's true i'll be bored at work what are you up to buddy uh, trying yeah. to study it's like oh sorry i'll leave you alone <laughs>
0: Or you will send me like, morning, it's like 5.30pm, and I'm making dinner. <laughs> yeah, there's quite a time difference between us. Um, yeah, we're battling f- six hours of time difference and 4,500 miles or something. Of miles. Of miles. I said yes. miles. I thought you said of something. I said miles. Okay. Davis, uh, j- just continue with the podcast, please. <laughs>
1: Um, but, uh, you and I, we like, we like our movie podcasts. We do. Uh, name a few just specifically. Uh, one that I'm repping today is, uh, On My Shirt, Zebras in America. Shout out to Scott and Marcus, the hosts of Zebras in America. Um, uh, F This Movie, uh, Movies from Hell,
0: uh, Wrong Reel, uh, You're I also want to say, this is what, who, how I knew you weren't Peter Jackson. Because Peter Jackson would never be so cool to wear a Zebra's in America t-shirt.
1: I, You know what? I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he might. I won't. Okay. <laughs> um, You and I have pretty much bonded over movies. Um, But we're also, you know, we talk about other things in movies. Like... Uh, Beer um, like hmm?
0: beer. Beer, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I in the sense that we both don't drink it, but we talk about it it's more than we should.
1: Well, I've been drinking more and more lately, but uh twenty twenty is gonna be twenty twenty. So
0: Yeah, quarantine is g quarantine is getting to you. Yeah.
1: So um but um you know so what we we would this is uh, going to be different from what we normally do on the podcast uh normally uh i would ha- normally i would have a cold open like i did um and then i'd be like you know we'd go hey how you doing introductions blah 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 and then normally i'd go chat me up leonard what you been watching pal and then he would talk about two titles that he's watched recently or and they don't necessarily have to be movies sometimes we'll talk about uh we might talk about books comic books uh music uh just things we're enjoying at the moment um yeah and uh then i would talk about two movies and then we would get to a main topic which is uh usually what we would do but uh this episode is gonna be a little different uh since this is the first episode, I figured uh, we would do a little bit of ripping off of the Pure Cinema podcast in their first episode, what they would call a Handshake Five. But uh, to keep up with current times, I'm going to call it the Fist Bump Cinco, since, you know, uh, social distancing hell. Um, uh, but, uh, Leonard, uh, what? how did you get into movies? Like we are now, like you are now.
0: I mean, I'm going to get into that later on with one of my picks. Okay. Um, but um, I I must say I I wasn't obsessed with movies as a kid as I yeah. know you were. I mean, I watched movies like every other kid, but yeah, I watched uh, sometimes. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Tim Burton five <laughs> times a day. Five times a day? Holy crap. Yeah, I, w- I would just play it on the background while I was mm-hmm. doing something else.
1: Okay, that's fair.
0: And uh but it it only I I only really got into movies by the time I was fourteen or fifteen. I uh I considered going to the Cinematheque here in Brussels. Uh, to be so, my film school of some kind, and I—I I think I've seen quite a bit for someone my age. But I am also yes. aware that I have there is so much that I have left to see, yet. And you know, it—it's—it's it's about the discovery. Yeah, I—you I, 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 I know—to know everything, and I, but I like to know more.
1: That's the thing that I was impressed with you is. You knowing who somebody like Ernst Lupage is at your age.
0: You know yeah, what I mean? I don't think we've mentioned that, but I'm nineteen. Yeah, and I'm uh twenty six. Yeah, so. you're already getting a
1: bit older there. <laughs> I can still run, boy.
0: You sure? Run 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 to a plane to kick your ass. I mean, if you would do that, and I've told you this before, but (laughs) if you would would take the effort to come all the way to Belgium to kick my ass, like I, like I would respect that. (laughs) Like if like I wouldn't be able to like run away or fight back. Like I owe it to you to let you kick my ass. Like no, I would never do that.
1: No, I would never do that. I love you too much as a friend to hit you. Jokingly, maybe I, like I don't feel about you at all, but sure. <laughs> I just like to say that because I know what you say. Because you always say, "I would respect you for that." <laughs> <laughs> um. But um, yeah, and that's the thing that you know we would interact on, uh, Twitter, and um. You would know so much, and you'd be. It got to the point where, like, uh. I don't remember who initiated what, um, the conversation, but I remember being, like, super impressed with somebody your age, knowing and seeing what you have seen, um, and, uh, honestly, I can't think of anybody that I'd rather do a podcast with, and I mean that, too, because we're kind of like, uh, uh, scully and molder from the x files i've never watched the x files but i I'll okay, let you don't gonna continue. cut this out <laughs> um but i just you know i do feel like an old man sometimes because you you're like what is that i've never heard of that that was before i was born and it's like okay
0: yeah but, just to make um, everyone who's listening feel old i was born in 2001 yeah.
1: Uh, but like Leonard said, um, I've pretty much loved movies as long as I can remember. Um, you know, Leonard talks about watching uh, *Charlie and the Chocolate Factory* uh, five times a day. Um, my, I had I watched *Toy Story* every day when I was a child. So much so that the tape VHS started to wear out. Mm -hmm. And, um, I got a little bit of a complicated relationship with Disney now versus then, but, um, my dad loves movies, old movies, um, he grew up in California, so, um, a lot of that stuff was around him, and, uh, especially in the, he grew up in the, uh, 60s and 70s in California, so, um, he was exposed to a lot of the stuff, you know, your classic Hollywood stuff. And so, in turn, he would expose me, uh, show it to me, and, um, I just came to love it. Uh, but, yeah, so, that's me. Um, but like I said, we've got, um, five movies that, um, I, I can speak for myself. I don't know how you chose these movies, buddy. Um I picked movies that I felt um explained who I was as a person um but also my taste. Like they're in mm-hmm. my DNA, but they're yeah. also part of my taste. Uh what I like, what I'm into, and I don't think it's going to scratch the surface of of everything that I'm into. Mhm. But uh it's a good sampler, I would it's say. It's only 5 movies after all. Yeah. If we did like ten, it'd probably be a little bit easier to cover. I do remember when we were when we were doing or talking about doing this episode. I'm like, can we do seven? Because I can't decide. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. And you're like, no, that's gonna be way too long. And
0: yeah, you're probably no. Right. You, you initially, you wanted to do eight. Uh, it's like that's a stupid number to like make <laughs> a list of eight. Oh, <laughs> uh, but
1: um. Yeah, so how did you go about picking your movies, buddy?
0: Um, I think we're kind of similar. Like some most of them resemble my taste or my personality. Mm-hmm. Like the kind of movies that if you follow me on Twitter, you you will kind of expect. Like I've cultivated those, and I bring them up all the time to everyone's. Everyone's annoyances.
1: Yeah. No. So uh,
0: and there's one that means a whole lot to me, but I, I'm not sure if everyone feels that way about it. Like, I will bring that one up, and people will be like, What do you like about that one? And I will go into that later. <laughs> and one, my first choice, which I will do reference earlier, is one that has a, a more anecdotal value to me right um and i have a few like those as well
1: sorry say that again
0: uh a stepping stone if you will
1: and i have a few of those like that as well um Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah so uh do you have anything else you wanted to talk about before we get started or do you want to get started
0: we're already taking longer for this yeah. than we originally intended, so I guess that's we would okay. just that's kick okay. it off. Uh, not not wear the people out before before yeah. in the first episode. Uh, so who's going first, me or you? Let's go with
1: you. Okay. <laughs> <I'm>, okay. <laughs> yeah. For my first pick, uh, I wanted to cover... Sort of the classic Hollywood era type of film, but also a subgenre of that era, mm-hmm. um, and that is film noir. Yeah, and that film is Billy Wilder's Double Indemnity. Um, Great movie. Yes, and you and I, I think, um, we had a discussion the other day. Um. About. Voiceover.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And how I I stupidly said, oh, all voiceover in movies are terrible, and then you're just like, but what about Double Indemnity? And I had already made my list, and you had said that, and I'm like, oh my god, how could it be so stupid? Um, and it, it it's one that really. Creates a unique voice, the narration in that movie. Well written, it has personality. I think yes. uh, Uh, There's a fantastic uh, script from uh, Billy Wilder and uh, Raymond Raymond Chandler. Chandler, Yeah. And you can hear Chandler's dialogue in that movie. Yeah, you do. Um. uh, Fred McMurray, Barbara Stanwyck, Edward G. Robinson all give great, great performances. Um. I don't know what Wilder saw in Fred McMurray, where it was like, "You're a corruptible piece of shit."
0: You know what I mean? But he has um, such a smug, self-satisfied face. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that's it. Um, and I just think I think Edward G. Robinson is just like operating like a steam engine in that movie sometimes, because he's just like, blah, blah, blah. you know, he's just moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when he's like has the stomach issue yes yeah.
0: he's moving you know he's just constantly in motion this was the first movie where I saw Edward G Robinson and it was like who's that guy that <laughs> like, he's probably one of the great American actors
1: it's funny to see him play against what he would normally play which is a gangster mm. yeah. um but uh I, it's just a movie that I adore. When I was in college, I took a film class and a American literature before 1920 class. And I remember looking at the syllabus for the film class and, you know, we watched your your kind of staples, your uh, classic Hollywood movie, uh, your silent film, and then, uh, you know, your, your noir, um, and... Uh, so we watched double indemnity in that class but then in the literature class i remember looking through the syllabus and being somewhat confused we were watching a movie instead of reading a book and it was double Mm -hmm. indemnity yeah um that literature class was kind of weird but um yeah it was it was weird to watch double indemnity two times that semester but it
0: was a treat because i love this movie so much um it's a movie that uh, that you can that bears repeating, or that like is worth a couple exactly. of rewatches. Definitely, uh, when I was rewatching it,
1: uh, because for all my picks, I did rewatch them. I know you didn't, but that's probably a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I know all these movies so well. Uh, I was picking up things subtleties that I hadn't picked up before, which is one of the things that's great about re-watching movies you pick up things
0: yeah. that you
1: never noticed before um but yeah double indemnity just means a lot to me um just the prime cream of the crop to quote the macho man randy savage of film noirs you know i i mean it's there's probably like a few other ones that you could say are like the best but double indemnity is like top two. I, I would say it's probably the best film noir of that era.
0: Even people, I think, even people who would uh, not call it their favorite, they wouldn't disagree with it being called the best. Yeah. I think it's such, oh, yeah. such a landmine. I don't think anyone would disagree with yeah, giving it that praise.
1: Yeah. It is It is a real landmark film. Um. Uh, but yeah, so Double Indemnity. Directed by Billy Wilder is my first pick. So, what is your pick, my friend?
0: So, I mentioned earlier, I wasn't really watching a lot of movies as a kid. Uh, I read a lot of books. I was a Mm -hmm. really big reader, and it's only when I fell out of love with books around like somewhere Mm -hmm. in high school that I took up like other interests. And uh, one of my favorite writers as a kid was Will Dahl, and so th- that's why Check this out. movie came upon my radar. I'm talking about uh, Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox from wow. 2009, which isn't my favorite Wes Anderson movie at the moment. Like that would be rushmore but it's it was my first and it uh it's it still means a lot to me it's it's a great movie to to introduce you to the possibilities of what of how much you can stylize movies um like because as a before this i i didn't really pay attention to movies they were just a thing that was there but i didn't really took note of how particular the way was they could tell a story that you couldn't do in any other way so uh the plot of this movie is uh mr fox who is an ex-con man played by george clooney who wouldn't fit in a normal was Anderson movie I think but when he's just providing the vo- a voice because it's a stop-motion animated movie he really works so he's a guy he is uh, he an ex-con man but now he has a, a family and a wife and kids and uh, he has a normal 9 to 5 lifestyle at a certain point he uh decides to plan one other heist like a big one with on, uh the local three local farmers but it goes wrong and they not only take revenge on him but on his entire community the the entire animal community and like it's it's maybe wes anderson's most well-paced movie It just like it doesn't stop like it has a very preston sturges inspired sense of humor
1: Mm, interesting
0: i i think that's also important about wes anderson is that he really takes a lot of inspiration from older movies like the classic like i said Preston Sturgis or Ernst Lubitsch kind of humor, but also, mm-hmm. like, you can see a little bit of The Lady Vanishes in the Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, the Lady Vanishes
1: or The Lady Eve?
0: No, The Lady, Lady Van- Vanishes. I, no, Lady Vanishes, the Hitchcock movie. Like, there's oh, okay. like a certain sense you... of, like, screwball thriller that also translates into yeah. The Grand Budapest. Okay. I mentioned Hitchcock, didn't I?
1: I, I probably
0: uh, don't worry about it. Okay. I just but like I think like if that's the thing about like a lot of people get into movies because of Wes Anderson because he's a very good mm-hmm. gateway director. And sometimes those people won't go back into the history of movies despite Wes Anderson constantly mention it, mentioning mentioning his past influences in the interviews.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That, what is it you call uh, Wes Anderson again? Uh, yeah, he's like the the fast food art house director. Yeah, that fits. I like that. Uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way. He's just like, he's so like, it's so accessible and like I know there are plenty of people who don't like his movies, who don't like his peculiar style, but I think yeah. most do. Um, um, this is one I have not seen. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's a good one. I would recommend y- it. You might enjoy the,
1: it. Yeah, the only other one of his animated ones that I've seen are Isle of Dogs. And I remember Yeah, that, that one isn't
0: so good. Um...
1: But yeah, he, you uh,
0: animation is something that I think is underrated these days. Yeah, I also wanted to pick an animated movie, at least one on my list, because it's an important medium for me. It's a medium, not a genre. Because you like to draw. Yeah, but also, also like there is something about a drawing... Or something that isn't that doesn't resemble a specific human being that makes uh, emotions more uh, relatable, or mm-hmm. because they're not linked. Like if you watch a regular movie, who which I love, just by the, I just want to make clear, they're like your kind of thing. As this, this, the story of this one specific person, and if yeah. you're like in this movie there, the, most of the characters are animals and you, you know, they can project things on them that you can't because they're more abstract figures. Mm-hmm. They're more vague concepts. Yeah. So that was fantastic. Mr. Fox, what's uh, the next one on your list, buddy? Um, uh, Let's see.
1: The next one on my list is... Uh, Day for Night, uh, directed by Francois Truffaut. Um, this Wes Anderson
0: loves Truffaut, clearly.
1: Which makes sense. You can see it totally. Yeah. Um, but Day for Night is in my, um, my taste bud that is art house slash, uh, foreign, like Mm -hmm. the foreign film, uh, area. Um, day for night for those of you that don't know about it it's just the about the making of a film call uh making of a film um i love the movie but i can't remember the name of the, the fictional movie um i just remember the the movie that they're shooting is it about a french man who brings home his american wife to his parents and uh The guy's father falls in love with the girl, the American girl, and that's it. Um, It's got... um, It's just got such a great cast. Um, Mm -hmm. You've got Jean-Pierre Léod, an old uh, Truffaut favorite. Actually, Mm -hmm. one of his most frequent collaborators. Um,
0: Yeah.
1: And um, it's just such a beautiful, uh, joyous film... Uh, you and I have talked about how much Truffaut is just a humanist mm-hmm.
0: He's just um, He's very sincere
1: Yeah, and he, you know, he loves He His movies feel like movies Like, mm-hmm. they feel like They feel like an actual expression But with something that um, There's a I'm going to spoil a little bit of it there's a reoccurring um, part of the movie that I... This is how I kind of interpret it. Um, you know, the stress of making a movie uh, back then was great. Um, and uh, Truffaut's character... Because Truffaut himself is in the movie and plays the film director. Um, he's, you know, lying in bed at night and he's dreaming. Mm-hmm. And he's dreaming about... I mean, it can be taken several ways uh, that he's thinking about what his next project is going to be. But yeah. it also, to me, you know, because you, you're working on a film and there's just all this shenanigans, all this crap going on that's stressful. Mm-hmm. And any other person would be like, S- why am I even doing this? You know? Yeah. Why am I participating in this madness? And he starts dreaming of this kid going up to a closed movie theater late at night and uh ripping uh lobby cards of Citizen Kane uh off like a poster board in the lobby
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh stealing them. Okay. And to me it's just the way I look at it is like, yeah, he's fed up, but he's still thinking about why he loves doing what he mm-hmm. does. Yeah. Uh, just that That like he's like, man, like I love Citizen Kane so much that I need to have those lobby cards. You know. Mm -hmm. Um, but um, we'll say this too. Uh, this is famously the film that broke up the real life friendship of Francois Truffaut and Jean-Luc Godard. Um, let me tell you something, Jean-Luc Godard. All right, pal. Uh Day for night has more humanity and more life than you at your best, pal. So you need to take a hard look at yourself in the mirror, pal, and uh, you know maybe work at McDonald's or something because you've never worked a hard day in your life, pal. So that's what I gotta say to you. Um,
0: I'm sure he will take notice. Yeah, he probably will will. listen to this.
1: He'll probably write like a long note about how. I don't know i don't really care i have a very complicated as listeners will learn i have a complicated relationship with uh, jean-luc godard um i do think he's important um but i go hot and cold with his movies i only like maybe three of them um i and that's that's like barely like like love um but um yeah Day for Night, um, I, it was one of the first foreign movies that I ever watched, outside of, like, anime. hmm um, yeah. And the and, anime um, was
0: probably dubbed?
1: No, I did go, eventually, from dubbed to subbed. I mean, but as a kid. Yeah, oh, as a kid, yeah. When I watched Dragon Ball Z yeah. and stuff like
0: that. Um, I don't remember the first time I watched the movie with subtitles, because... uh like... American movies and TV was so dominant. So, like, for me, those are subtitled movies. And so I've basically been watching things with subtitles since I can read. So, for I don't, so it was really a big shift for me.
1: Yeah. And I came to this when I was in my early 20s. Um, I went through a phase of as i joke with leonard uh dark the dark Knight is peak cinema um which um (laughs) uh i also we both i know have both have complicated feelings about christopher nolan
0: yeah uh he's uh, a director he exists he makes movies (laughs) you don't have to get into that now no
1: no but i want to scare people away (laughs) Uh, but, uh, yeah, I want, I remember this was one of the first foreign films I watched. I remember watching it when I had bronchitis. Mm-hmm. Um, and being very sick and just feeling better after I've seen it, which is such a mm-hmm. weird thing to say. Yeah.
0: But I get it still. I think everyone who, who loves movies has one of those experiences.
1: Um,. But yeah, so that's Day for Night, uh, directed by Francois Truffaut.
0: So uh, my next choice is um, a bit of a personal one. Like I know this movie has its fans and it's cult, but uh, every time I bring it up, like there there will be someone who will be like, I don't understand what you like about this movie i i can only say that i understand that it's not your thing it's not a movie that works in a way like in certain ways it doesn't work especially it's something but i love to revel in its atmosphere it's if i would make a movie it would be a bad version of this and i guess certain people would argue this is already the bad version of this but uh what i'm talking about is uh, the 2011 movie kill list by ben wheatley Uh, a low budget british horror movie uh it's basically three different movies rolled into one it started out as a domestic kitchen sink drama where a guy hasn't been working for a long while and he and his wife are running out of money, they have a little kid and she wants him to go back to work but he can't, he has anger issues and it turns out that his job actually is that he's a hitman and eventually he is he decides to go back into the life and it becomes a hitman thriller for a while but there, there's something off, there are signs that you just like the character in, characters in the movies you, you're kinda ignoring those signals until they become undeniable at the end where it turns into a sort of Wicker Man ripoff and I mean that in the best way possible Like, it's a movie that no matter how many times I watched it, and I watched it a lot, it continues to surprise me. There was always, like, these little details that stand out to me. It's a movie I just love, top to bottom. And if people tell me they don't like it, I'm fine with it. I understand. I'm not judging anyone. It's just something that means a lot to me.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not very familiar with Ben Wheatley as a director. Yeah.
0: Um, he, he has been, uh, turning out some very disappointing results after <laughs> this w- yeah. with, uh, the recent Rebecca remake.
1: Oh, looked like literal barf on film. But...
0: It, it looks, looks very uh, oversaturated and yeah. In this movie it has, like a point and shoot style filmmaking. Like a run and gun, sort of Yeah. Story. Which kinda helps like because it's it it helps to create these anxiety inducing scenarios. Like I think mm-hmm. it actually works to just be like feel like a fly on the wall in these moments okay. that can turn from very peaceful to very violent in a second. Gotcha. Yeah. Um I need to check that one out. I've heard a lot of good things about it. I can't promise you that you will love it, but I think mm-hmm. I know you're a aspiring filmmaker who like, mm-hmm. who would like to make a indie horror movie. And I think you can see something like, Oh, this is, this, this goes an interesting route. Yeah. Um, that's it for kill Uh, okay. Yeah. What's next? Um, I, I have
1: a my next one is the first ever Talking Pictures podcast tie. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> Just, <laughs> anyway, yeah. so it is a tie, and this is my horror pick. Mm-hmm. Um horror picks. Horror picks, that is correct. Plural Yeah. Uh, And you have two sides. You have the art, almost the artful indie side, and then the trashy side. And on the artful side, you have uh, John D. Hancock's um, Let's Scare Jessica to Death.
0: I've Um, heard about it, yeah. I know the uh, poster very well, like, that poster has stuck into my brain. mm -hmm. And that
1: is the only poster of a movie that I own at this point. That's an original.
0: I was going to say, I can see that Napoleon Dynamite poster sitting right behind you. But
1: it's not the movie poster. I got that at a book fair when I was in like the fifth grade. So. Oh, okay. Um, And then my other pick is Uli Lamel's Olivia. Which I've that seen. Is the tr- that's that's yes, a really good
0: movie. I would argue it's... Is that the artsy or is that the trashy pick? That's the trashy. Um, because it's quite artsy as well. It is. Um,
1: I don't want to get into why I would kind of consider it trashy. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll quickly give the plot for uh, Let's Both Scare Jessica them. to Death. Uh, Let's Scare Jessica to Death is about... Um, I believe they're married. A married couple moving to the country. They've bought, uh, like, this old farmhouse that's very old, and they're gonna uh, fix it up, and... um, And uh, along with their friend, they're gonna, you know, have a farm. And it's this huge piece of land uh, where there are orchards and whatnot like that. Um, So... But they get there and um, Jessica, the main character, has recovered from a mental breakdown. And uh, she she's very fragile. So um, it brings a lot of the psychological thriller aspect to it. Um, the Goth almost the Gothic kind of aspect. you know, woman in a house. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they get there, uh, they discovered that this girl has been, uh, squatting there. She's homeless. She just lives there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but there's some things about her that aren't quite right. And I won't give too much more away cause,
0: um, you, I think you would really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, it seems like something that I need to check out. Um, and
1: then... And I'll just say briefly, um, let's scare Jessica to death, I discovered on uh, like the local channels one afternoon. Oh, wow. it was a very deep cut movie to find on a local channel. Mm, yeah. Uh and um I remember, you know, I've been searching for years for the title of this movie. And um I wanna say it was probably in pure cinema or uh just the discs Mm -hmm. um especially when it uh when it got announced by scream factory as a release that it was like okay that's that movie especially Mm -hmm. when i started to look it up and um but it wasn't even that i remembered the title it was just that it's a movie that is exclusively almost exclusively uh can be fueled by atmosphere and mood and that Mm -hmm. is such a beautiful thing for a horror film
0: yeah um I think that's the thing I look the most for in horror movies. Like, most people would say they want to be scared, but I just want atmosphere.
1: Well, and, you know,
0: being scared is
1: part of the atmosphere. Like, if you need to feel unease, you know what I mean?
0: Like, there's a difference between being uneased and being generally scared, but I'm rarely scared by horror movies, but I like to be slightly teased or slightly... Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just a,
1: go ahead, Un- unnerved, yeah. unnerved, yeah. Um. But uh, it's just a, it's a great movie. Um. Then the other film that I had mentioned on the trashy side, which Leonard argues could be considered artful, but and I do agree. But I'll kind of explain mm-hmm. why it's kind of trashy, just because of the plot. Um. Olivia is about a girl uh, named Olivia who, when she's a child, uh, witnesses her prostitute mother being murdered by a client. Um, Yeah. And, of course, that sets in motion to her life, and then you flash forward to her being, like, 18 or 19 years old, and she's married to this guy who works in, like, a, a factory, and he's just a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. He treats her terribly, and um, I was thinking about it more today, and um, I would actually almost consider Olivia to be a horror movie fairy tale. Yeah, that works. Because um, uh, there's all those shots of Olivia looking from the window at the mm-hmm. bridge. Um, Yes, and that's the other thing about this movie that, I would classify as not artful. The subplot to this movie is there is an architect in London. This takes place in London. And um, (laughs) they're taking the London Bridge from London to Arizona. And reinstalling it in this town in Arizona. I think that's
0: a real thing, though. Because I've seen that pop up in other movies.
1: Yeah, okay um but it's such such a weird thing to do i i love that twist like,
0: it's such a I do too but twist. it's just
1: like what 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 is that gonna do for arizona do they need a bridge that bad that they're <laughs> willing to wait
0: <laughs> um i think it was a tourist thing
1: yeah I that's i think that. and then um
0: i don't think i ever told you told you about this but there is a Made for TV, David Hasselhoff movie. That's about like the London Bridge being brought over to Arizona, and Jack the Ripper comes with it.
1: Oh my gosh! What a double feature!
0: Holy crap! I I I can't remember the name for it, but I I will send it to you after yeah, this recording. Yeah, please do. Um,
1: that's that's incredible. That's yeah. so that's the kind of stuff I love too. Like, um. I guess why I consider um Olivia Trashy is like it's sort of there's a lot a lot of like gratuitous sex scenes it seems like. It, um It's not that, that couple, bad. No, it's not, but just to a little old midwestern boy like me, I ain't never seen nothing like that.
0: Um uh, <laughs> Yeah. And i'm I european like... i i'm used to those things we watch those You're... things when we were in fifth grade <laughs> <laughs> that's our that's our saturday morning cartoons <laughs> <laughs> um
1: but um i just love olivia uh i discovered it through um vinegar syndrome which is what you call what again
0: Oh, yeah, it's the criterion of trash.
1: Um, and, uh, when you buy from uh Vinegar Syndrome, nine times out of ten, you've never seen the movie before. And that's kind of the fun in buying mm-hmm. from them. And I've had a pretty decent track record with them. Like, so far, there's only, like, one movie that I watched that I'd bought from them that I'm like, this is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um but um i've watched it already in 2020 when i bought and i bought it in 2020 i've watched it at least three or four times
0: i I think it's at least four times maybe even five
1: yeah i've I've lost count but um it's it's just such a interesting movie um one that people i think should watch to be honest
0: I think we should we should also mention that when you first watched it, you gave it three stars and you weren't sure about it. And then you only fell more in love with it the more times you watched it.
1: Yeah, well, only because the first time I had watched it, it was late at night and I kept passing out.
0: Mm, and you also Which thought on... it was porn for a second. Yeah,
1: well, because Vinegar Syndrome does sell softcore porn. That's true. So I was like, oh my god, did I accidentally buy porn?
0: Usually I just do it uh, willfully, but now I did it by accident. <laughs> <laughs> but, um...
1: It's just a fascinating movie. It's it's really unclassifiable, but, um... It's more in the horror vein. Yeah. Um, she... But uh, Olivia does, like... Most people who've seen their parents murdered end up being uh, a murderer, basically.
0: I don't think most people do that, but in in the universe of movies, yeah. Yes, that's what I meant. That's kind of what I meant. Um, It's also like uh, every kid who who saw his his, uh, mom fuck Santa (laughs) also turned out to be a killer...
1: Yeah. Um That's a
0: reference to Christmas Evil, by the way. That's that's a really fun nice. movie.
1: Also sold by Vinegar Syndrome.
0: Yes, and it stars Fiona Apple's dad. Is that oh that's right, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, he also shows up as a in a Dress to Kill the same year.
1: What a filmography.
0: <laughs> he, he shows up in other stuff too, but like that was a very good year for him. <laughs> It's like the Taxi Driver of Christmas movies.
1: Yeah, he was in the Christmas Taxi Driver movie. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so those are my two picks. On the artful side, you have Let's Scare Jessica to Death. And on the more... I guess sleazy is probably the better way of describing it. Olivia's more on the sleazy side, Mm -hmm. I would say.
0: Um,
1: So uh, what do you have next, pal?
0: Uh, The next movie on my list is going to be Quite a Departure, but it's uh, Mm -hmm. my only real classic Hollywood inclusion on the list. It's uh, The Apartment from 1960. Okay. We already discussed Billy Wilder today, and this is not my favorite Billy Wilder movie. That would be Sunset Boulevard. Mm -hmm. but this is probably the one I revisited the most and which uh, has a personal spot in my heart. Mm -hmm. So uh, the movie is about these two characters, Cece Baxter, played by Jack Lemmon, who I think is one of the great American actors. Agreed. And Frank Kublich, played by Shirley MacLaine. And they are both locked into repeating the same things that always end up hurting them every time again and again. Like C.C. Baxter keeps enabling and helping his bosses to cheat on their wives even though it brings him more problems than he can count. Like just in the hope of getting some kind of promotion and she, F- Fran is stu- stuck in this relationship where she uh, is dating one of her bosses but like she knows it's never going to end well but every time she hopes it's it, it's going to turn out differently and when they finally Decide to break that cycle It's one of the most invigorating things I've ever seen in the movie Like uh, Jack Clemens C.C. Baxter is, su- is such a character that Charlie Brown-esque character Who's instantly endearing and relatable with also Full of self-pity and a bit of a dick, which is probably why mm-hmm. so many wild, white male cinephiles can uh, relate <laughs> to him.
1: <laughs> yeah. well, I like, would just say people in general, probably.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe not white male, but like people who have kind of been nerds or a bit... Mm-hmm. Uh, the outcast, Not very sociable. And not not the cruel people i would say mm-hmm. uh but you now with the recent me too movement i've been thinking a lot about how you can be a supposedly nice guy yet while not doing something wrong yourself still enable the bad people yeah you can and, be a,
1: a um almost an accessory to it enable
0: yeah and i think that's what uh baxter is in this movie and i remember initially being like oh this poor guy he's getting into trouble for something he hasn't done and now i feel differently now Mm -hmm. that i'm getting older i mean i'm not that old but i'm getting more mature right is that he's is kind of taking responsibility in a way for the things he allowed to happen right It's also this romantic comedy where the male leads learns more about the female leads besides just the image of her he has created in his head. That's more than just his fantasy of a nice girl but someone who's real and has flaws and made mistakes. And he he ends up loving her all the more for it. Like it's this... With all the drama and suicide that this movie contains it's still a very heartwarming movie and i need to mm. watch it every year at least once probably twice
1: yeah um this is one that i um need to see because uh i call myself a billy wilder fan but yet i have not seen this one
0: i mean he has made a lot of movies like you have seen the major and the minor so if they have the, the, yeah. If they have Talk about movies most that would have been problematic in the Me Too
1: movement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you that don't know, uh, The Major and the Minor is about um, a masseuse played by Ginger Rogers. Mm-hmm. And uh, she needs to take a train. She's done working in New York. She's had it. She's frustrated. So she just wants to go home to... I want to say it's like Wisconsin or something like that. But uh, she doesn't have enough money to get home with that ticket. So she dresses up as a child um, to get on the train to pay for the fare at a half uh, a smaller price. And um, she uh, meets a military man, played by Ray Meland who's coming... Back from Washington D.C. and um, uh, she falls in love with him. He takes her to this military school, and like it, it just and he's already dating somebody and they're engaged. It's just
0: yeah, There's it's a, a lot g- of
1: uh, in old movies problematic.
0: guys who are already engaged to someone else falling in love with another girl.
1: Yeah, and he thinks she's a child, yeah. and it's just, it's a little creepy. Yeah. It's a fun movie, but, like, it would never be able to be made today, that's for sure.
0: And that's maybe for the better.
1: Yeah, I think that's what makes it work, too, is, like, um...
0: It's an artifact, in
1: a sense. Yeah. like I said, it's a very entertaining movie. It definitely shows Wilder's, um, admiration for Lubitsch. Ernst Lubitsch I mean he wrote
0: for Lubitsch
1: right but you get what I mean like he loved Lubitsch so much that he there's a sequence in it where uh that reminds me of Trouble in Paradise
0: it also needs to be said Lubitsch didn't write his movies or not many of them
1: no he just was
0: very good at delivering that specific zany comedic dialogue Mm -hmm. like knowing how to film that and how to get those performances out of his actors and you and I are uh, big Lubitch fans though. Yeah, yeah, it's one of my favorites.
1: Um but um but yeah, the uh the one thing I love about the apartment is uh Fred McMurray who plays uh Jack Lemmon's boss in the movie, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um uh Fred McMurray had mostly uh up until I mean outside of double indemnity, but like um when the apartment came out, he was walking down the street, and a woman came up to him and slapped him on the face, telling him that uh, she took her children to see <laughs> the apartment, thinking it was a children's movie because mm-hmm. Frederick Murray had I think, at that point, started working with Disney mm-hmm. yeah, and he, um, he after that encounter, uh, Frederick Murray then looked at his wife who was with him and said. That's it. No more of those types of pictures. I'm only playing good guys now. Which so. is sad
0: because it was very it good playing playing a piece of shit.
1: Yeah, like I said, uh, a corruptible piece of shit. That's mm-hmm. what Wilder saw in him, mm-hmm. and was able to get out of him. Um,
0: but which is the best compliment you can ever give an exactly. actor? Exactly.
1: I mean, and he would do it so well. Yeah. Um. Uh. But
0: uh. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> what do you got for your next one? Okay. Um, I have...
1: Um, I love crime movies. Um, so do I, also, I. Yes, we both love crime movies. Um, I like dark crime movies as well. Um, mm-hmm. So my pick for the crime movie spot
0: is... David Lynch's Blue Velvet um, That's quite an original choice I didn't know you were doing that way
1: Yeah, I mean it is pretty It's a little obvious But at the same time it's not I feel like Yeah, I know what you mean Um, I wanted to capture the side of me Not in a film Like that I've lived this, so to speak I um, hope not uh... <laughs> Yeah, I would hope not either It'd be pretty
0: traumatic Yeah um, have you ever a... found a Found a new while taking a walk?
1: No, but um, one time I was walking in my neighborhood, and there's like a little, like circle mm-hmm. in the subdivision, and yeah. uh, by the 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 snow had just melted, and there were two dead possums lying next to each other, in a weird fashion, like it was almost like a sacrifice or something. Damn. So I don't know what happened with that. Um, I just kept walking and went Mm -hmm. home, but I can still think about it. But um, I live in a small town. Um, You know, Blue Velvet is about uh, Kyle McLaughlin, who comes home from college because his father has a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And um, he finds an ear in the grass. And um, it goes to the police. And then... Uh, would you say he gets obsessed with it?
0: I mean, he. it started as him being like... Uh, a good citizen. A, not a good citizen, but like a, a, a small schoolboy wanting to be a detective, and then when he yeah. uncovers more, he becomes obsessed.
1: Yeah, and it just gets very dark. Um, it also stars... Um, one of my all-time favorite movie crushes, Laura Dern... Um and uh the daughter of Ingrid Bergman and Roberto Rossellini, Isabella Rossellini. Mm. Um and Mr Oh my gosh, what's his name? Dennis Hopper. Thank you. As Frank Booth. Holy crap. Um and it's just got, you know, great uh Dennis or David Lynch uh regulars. Uh, and mm-hmm. Jack Nance, uh, Kyle MacLocken, and uh, Laura Dern are regulars as well.
0: Yeah. Does um, Dean Stockwell show up multiple times in his movies or not?
1: Oh, man. Yeah, I like Dean Stockwell in this movie.
0: Oh, he's so good. I, I Like, Dennis Hopper gives the best performance, but he gives the second best performance at least. <laughs>
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Um, I,
1: um the way i would describe this movie um it's definitely like a proto twin peaks like he was getting there to the Mm -hmm. to the show um yeah um uh, a way i would describe it um it's sort of like you know small towns always seem like they're idyllic and perfect but there's always that like rot and
0: mhm that's like you have this beautiful piece of fruit and then you cut it open and it's down bad and there are worms in it crawling yeah, around it's like
1: it's like a beautiful apple and you take a bite in it and you just got a mouthful of worms and it's on the inside it's all black mm-hmm. and yeah and that's that's what blue velvet is and honestly you know too, I've I work in a hotel and um It's not, like, the fanciest hotel. Um, I work the front desk um, in a small town, so we get... And lately, uh, things have been very dramatic. I've had to call the police a lot lately, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's been very scary, and um, it just makes you think, really, how perfect is a small town, you know? Mm. And the answer is, really, it's not. Um, and that's something that this movie really kind of made me realize and think about because, um, I can't remember if I've told you this story before, but when I was in college, the story came out that this girl, I believe she was in junior high, was dating a high school kid. And he had technically kidnapped her. Mm hmm. Um, but it turns out he wasn't even a high school kid. He was like 22.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm I'm responding very lukewarm but it's because I already know the story otherwise I would have Okay, yeah, checked. I couldn't remember if I told you. Yeah.
1: But it's it, I just remember thinking like holy crap, like that can happen here.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: that's something you could like figure in like Chicago or something like that. You know what I mean?
0: Mhm.
1: Yeah. Or a bigger city. Um, but um i think she was even pregnant if i remember correctly so it was a bad situation Um, yeah another thing about this movie that i just i just love about lynch in general is the way he captures agony yeah just like this it's and it's not like a glorification or um a fetishism of agony but like there's the scene where Isabella Rossellini uh, wanders onto uh, Laura Dern's parents' lawn mm-hmm. while uh, Kyle McLaughlin's over there, and they're out on a date. And um, she's naked. She's battered and bruised, and she's just in a daze. She's and, saying,
0: uh, "You put this disease in me."
1: Yeah, and when you know, when a woman says, "You know, you put this disease in me," and she's naked. Um a lot of people are gonna take that wrong.
0: Mm.
1: I mean, it's pretty self explanatory what she was meaning. Yeah. Um But um there's that moment where Laura Dern is just in such agony seeing this side of Kyle McLaughlin's life because you know, she had basically blown off her boyfriend to go out with him. Yeah. And um It's just such a powerful moment because, um, I think twofold, uh, Laura Dern, I think, is such a beautiful crier, too. Like, she's got such a beautiful face that, like, even when she's crying, she's a beautiful woman. But it's like, she's still suffering. Mm -hmm. And you can see it. And I think, and that's such a a great thing in a director is you know actors are being vulnerable in the camera and um she's she's being vulnerable you know and i love that actors and actresses just feel comfortable with david lynch has that quality that makes them feel comfortable enough to do it Mm. yeah um um, and that's the thing is just agony and his films are just so almost cathartic i would say too Mm -hmm. yeah does that make would you agree with that
0: yeah, yeah, sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, it's it's kind of hard to put into words what I mean, though. Um, they're visceral movies. Yeah, they're very visceral. Um, I guess maybe you just feel the agony. Is what they're I mean They're also too. very
0: expressive. Like yes, when you they're st- very... were talking about agony, I immediately started to- started thinking about like Diane Ladd is uh, Lord Durant's mother in real life. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, there's the scene of her in a uh, wild at heart, yes where she goes well Laura Dern runs off with nicholas cage's character and she goes insane and she just starts screaming and taking this lip gloss, lip gloss and
1: mm-hmm.
0: ma- uh, painting her entire face with it's into screaming red, and just like the most Perfect visualiz- visualization of someone going mad or insane or just like you said, yeah. pure agony.
1: Yeah, but uh, yeah, Blue Velvet. It's just it just to me, it captures what it is to live in a small town. Um, especially you know the white
0: picket fence and stuff like that. It's just, mm-hmm. I and it's just such a great movie. Yeah, it's a fantastic movie. The last time I watched it was in a theater, and there were too many people laughing during the movie. And it's kind of like it was very off putting because that's such a traumatizing it's, movie. It for is. Me. Exactly. Just have people lo- laugh when, like, Dennis Hopper is yelling, and, like, uh, it just was very, uh very unpleasant experience for me.
1: Yeah, because, you know, unfortunately, people only watch things to be ironic sometimes.
0: Yeah, yeah, especially. Like, but there is a certain ir- irony to David Lynch's word, but people mm-hmm. take it to the full extent they, that it yeah. doesn't deserve or doesn't invite to
1: be laughed at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you and I do joke about the line. You know, where Dennis Hopper sees that Kyle McLaughlin's drinking Heineken, and he goes, Heineken? Fuck that shit! Pops Blue Ribbon! And then... But that's a funny line.
0: Yeah, also in Belgium, like, we hate Heineken. Like, because people think it's, uh... I mean, first of all, it's bad. And second <laughs> of all, like, people think it's ours, and so we don't want that. It's, it's the Dutch, their fault. So, uh... So, like, when he says Hanukkah fuck that shit, like, the entire theater started laughing. <laughs> yeah. They were just like, hell yeah! Fuck that shit! <laughs> <laughs> he said oh. it, man. <laughs> Say it, preach it to the quote, preach it, preach it. <laughs> preach it, brother.
1: <laughs> like, retweet. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, but yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know if I can say any more about uh, Blue Velvet without this turning into a David Lynch podcast. So I'm going to yeah. let you go ahead and go next, my friend.
0: My movie, or my next movie, is also a crime movie. It's mm-hmm. called uh, The Long Goodbye from 1973, directed by Robert Altman. Um, if anyone... Follows me on social media. They will. Have. They will associate me with this movie. In some way. Because my. uh, My. Handle I guess. For Twitter is. At Monsieur Marlowe. Which I chose. Because of this movie. Because the. Also my bio. On Twitter is. When I grow up, I want to be Elliot Gould in The Long long Goodbye because <laughs> Gould in this movie is the epitome of cool, I guess. Yeah. No, I, I'm sure actually he, is, he really is.
1: No, he's really cool in that movie. Uh, this is so far the only movie on your list that I have actually seen. So, oh, yeah. Uh, I can talk a little bit about it with you. But um, mm. uh, yeah, he really is really cool in that movie
0: he also has like this the best character introduction in a movie ever Mm -hmm. like it just opens with him being woken up by his cat who wants to be fat and he goes into the kitchen and he doesn't have the right brand of cat food in the house so Mm -hmm. he takes another can Mm -hmm. from another brand and he yeah. tries to like trick his cats by putting the bad yeah. foods into. The, have you ever and, had to and, do that with your pet? No, they're not that particular about it. They're just okay. happy to get food. <laughs> yeah, we
1: had to do that. I would have to do. We would try that with um, with my dog, and yeah. uh, to take medicine. Oh yeah, almost to trick her, and most of the time it didn't work. So, I I love that little note there that sh- the cat doesn't fall for it.
0: Yeah, so he goes out into the night to buy some cat food. And then he runs into his neighbors who are these, like, new-agey girls. Well, I'm not sure if they're dancing or doing yoga, but they're naked. And they are asking him to, like, pick up some brownie mix or something. <laughs> They're Probably like, oh, brownies. you're <laughs> so nice, Mr. Marlowe. And he, and he just, like, that's how you learn his name. <laughs> and then he just, like, he's just walking away and just mumbling to himself like no one else can hear him. He's like, I have to be nice. I'm a private eye. That's how you know <laughs> what his profession is. Yeah. It's it's so perfect. Like, Elliot Gould can, like, pull that off to just, like, talk to himself the entire time. He's he's very uh, grumpy looking too, which I liked about it. Yeah, but like he's grumpy, but in a nice way. Like he's just yeah, a... that's
1: what I mean. Is like he's grumpy, but like <laughs> in an approachable way.
0: Yeah, like um, uh, the mo- like the other most famous iteration of the Philip Marlowe character is by Humphrey Bogart, which like, Bogart usually in movies is this cold-hearted son of a bitch. Who yeah. slowly reveals his tender side as the movie goes on. And Goulds gives this approachable impression of like a nice guy. But if he wants to, he can be an asshole. Yeah. And uh, in a lot of ways by the end of this movie, Goulds becomes the horrible detective. Mm-hmm. That we associate with the Marlowe character. Yeah it's also like the the feel of the movie which like the story itself doesn't really matter but it's more about the feel Mm -hmm. and like the the movie itself perfectly mirrors its own main character in every way like it's playful shaggy Mm -hmm. earnest ambiguous adrift yeah slightly confused as well <laughs> i
1: think and also what adds to that confusion is he feels out of place
0: yeah that's true it's like this This it's also a movie that's so inherently connected to the time and the place it takes it takes place at like it's uh late 60s early 70s la mm-hmm. and you really like it just it feels how you, you feel imagine that time to be which makes it all the more surprising it came out at the time itself like it it feels like how filmmakers these days would look back at that era Mm -hmm. Elliot gould in the early 70s is one of the great actors and i've I've used that word a lot that term a lot today but it's Mm -hmm. true for all of them
1: yeah i mean he
0: hey you want to know what my favorite
1: uh Elliot Goldworld is. Would be Sparks? No, him on Friends.
0: Just kidding. <laughs> That's how I was introduced to his character. Yeah, to him as an too. actor. Like I also remember watching the Muppet movie around that time and being like and then being like, Oh, it's that dad from Friends, but young.
1: <laughs> it's Ross and Monica's dad from Friends in a yeah. Muppet
0: movie.
1: Yeah. Uh it's just such a great. Is Robert Mitchum in that too?
0: No, he isn't.
1: Who am I thinking of? Who plays the old man? Uh, what's his, what's his it's name? an old Hollywood actor. He's in that. the
0: Asphalt Jungle in those movies. Uh, Sterling Hayden. Sterling Hayden, who's also yeah. a, a year before he was in The Godfather.
1: Oh, wow. Like, he, he the had Godfather? a great
0: last run. To yeah, he this did movie. actually. Like, Robert Mitchum around this time would also played the Philip Marlowe character That's in some movies. That's of it. Yeah. I, yeah. Um,
1: yeah, he's... It's, it's just such a good movie. Um, yeah,
0: Sterling Hayden is such a force of nature in this movie.
1: Yeah, and he's quintessential noir, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, think about it. He did Asphalt Jungle. John Huston. He did um, The Killing... With Stanley Kubrick?
0: Mm-hmm. He also did Johnny Guitar, which is like the noir of a West of the Western yep. era. Yeah. Like the like certain things he does in that movie feels more like a noir, a noir character than a Western character. A
1: technicolor noir too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, is... we should we should really do an episode on Johnny Guitar one day.
1: Yeah. I
0: and I love you know I love
1: Nick Ray. Yeah, me too. We both love Nick Ray. Um Two thumbs up for Nick Ray. Yes. Okay. We're the new Cisco and Ebert, so, you know. Yeah, but we're only <laughs> approving people. <laughs> um. Oh, man, but yeah, a long goodbye. I remember, I don't know if you had the first same reaction as well, but did you, like, at first, like, were like, oh, this is pretty good, not, like, great, or did you like it, like, right off the bat?
0: The I I always liked it, but it took me a while. Like the sec, like it's the kind of movie that you go in expecting one thing, and mm-hmm. Altman never gives you the thing you're expecting. Right. And you, you kind of have to like rise to the movie's level, and you have to watch it a second time to really get it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I need to. I do remember liking it, but the the more and more that. I've talked about it with other people and been talking about it with you today. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna revisit it. Mm-hmm. Um You should. And I you know, I did just buy the keynote Blu ray, so mm. um but uh yeah. That's
0: That's it for the long goodbye, okay. I guess.
1: Okay. I didn't know if you had anything else to say. No.
0: Um I mean, okay. We don't want this to be too long.
1: Yeah. We're doing pretty good on time.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, it's the both of our last picks. Yep.
1: So, for um, my final pick, is a is the silent film part of my taste mm-hmm. and part of my DNA, um, and I really did struggle with this one you remember getting the DM'd being like, okay, I've narrowed it down to 50 movies out of, you know, five. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, this is my silent film. And I also wanted to put comedy in there. And I'm loosely putting comedy in there just because of who this person is considered to be. mm mm-hmm. um, And that is from 1921, uh, Charlie Chaplin's The Kid. Um, yeah, yeah. I, his, I know your uh, love for Chaplin. Yeah, my love for Chaplin is pretty endless. Um, he is, I will say, a problematic person uh, in his marriages, for sure. But mm-hmm. um, And I don't want to be a guy that was like, oh, you know, it was the 20s, everything went, but like... No, like, People that's problematic.
0: issue at the time, I think. It's no, not, like not
1: as much. Um,
0: a bit, like, still some, like. Yeah, uh,
1: definitely some. Uh, this was made, uh, well, basically the film is about an unwed mother who um, has to give up her child because she cannot afford to take care of it. And the mother's played by Edna Proviance, His uh, his most um, his the leading lady he used the most, mm-hmm. um, and this was their last film together as on screen together. Okay. Um, the last one that they would do together was A Woman of Paris, um, which was a flop. But we won't get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, So she has to abandon the child, and, you know, who else to find the baby but the little tramp, and, um, he, you know, takes care of the baby and raises it as his own son, Uh, and and the, the kid in the later scenes is played by Jackie Coogan, who would later go into star in, um, Adam's family is Uncle Fester, um, and uh, have I ever told you about? Have you ever heard of the Jackie Coogan Law? No, but please elaborate. Okay, so after this movie came out, Jackie Coogan was huge, like mm-hmm. big, um, and deservedly so. So, um, so he started like making movie after movie, making so much money as a kid and he's really sort of like the first example of a child actor yeah um basically what ended up happening is by the time he got older and was like ready to use that money his parents had spent it all oh wow so he was broke and um in fact in like 1932 Chaplin gave him money they were still that close Mm -hmm. after the movie um, so, uh, I think years later, he went to even took his parents to court. Yeah. Um, and it, they put into effect the Jackie Coogan law, which means I think they put the money in like a trust fund mm-hmm. so they can't access it. Um, throw it in your Google machine if you're even more curious about it. I'm not a hundred percent, uh confident in what I'm telling, but that's the gist of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, um, this film was made after Chaplin lost um, his son after Mm -hmm. only a few weeks. Um, And it's a film you can, you can really feel it. Um, I've never felt like um, there's a more personal You've never I've never felt like excuse me um, never felt such a personal energy to a film before I mean you know things can feel uh, personal um, but the way he integrates his childhood into the movie because you can tell mm-hmm. um, in fact the famous sequence, Um, have you seen that sequence, or, uh... No, I haven't seen this movie yet. Okay, um... The kid is sick, um, and, uh, a doctor comes to visit them, and the doctor goes, well, are you the father? And Chaplin says, well, practically, um, and, um... He shows him the note that he had found on him when he picked him up, and it says, you know, please take care of this orphan child. And, um... The doctor goes and gets the authorities with, uh, like an orphanage to take him away from him. And, um... He... You know, he fights them off at first, and, you know, stands his ground, and, um... It comes from a very real place. Um, And then they come back with the police officer. Who, you know, in every Charlie Chaplin movie, there's always an issue with the police officer. He had an issue with the law. Um, Which, you know, maybe marrying 16-year-old girls didn't help with that. But (laughs) um, he, they, uh, they take the child away. And, um,
0: Are you they a kid literally, there, buddy?
1: yeah, it just, <laughs> I didn't think that even talking about it would make me cry because I always cry, um, when watching it
0: mm-hmm.
1: because, yeah. um, I just remember being a kid and, you know, watching it with my dad and, you know, <laughs> thinking, like, oh my gosh, you know. What if they you know what if that was my dad that they were doing that to and you know we weren't related but he still loved me like he does and i remember crying and cheering for them to be reunited because they throw um the kid into the back of a like truck and uh they literally choke the tramp chaplain and it's one of the most heartbreaking um i would even uh venture to say visceral things ever recorded on film um it was at that moment not to sound pretentious but from one Chaplin went from comedian to filmmaker because he took what you know griffith had applied and made it so much better and so much more meaningful um he and then they get separated and you know he's being choked and it's very like they're lifting him off the ground it's that bad and the kid is crying he's literally praying to god to be reunited with his father and um it just gets me every time because then and then you know he knocks out the police officer and the other doctor and he runs as fast as he can doing some real uh douglas fairbank shit you know hopping mm-hmm. on roofs and uh uh and chasing down and then you know he catches up with the truck finally and um they reunite and it's just it's one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen um <laughs> he, you know, they're hugging, and they're kissing, and they're just, they're reunited, and, you know, of course, there's some humor dabbled in there, um, but it's just so beautiful, and, uh, I remember watching that with my dad, who had introduced it to me, and, um, looking at me and saying, you know, you, you reacting the way you did, um, shows that you have heart, and, it's something that I've kind of carried with me. And yeah. it's made it more meaningful. But then knowing um, Chaplin's life makes it even more personal. Because I can't imagine losing a child. Um, uh, I really didn't think I was going to cry talking about the kid. It'd be like if we started talking about, um... I can't even make a joke right now. No, don't. You don't no. have to. Um, but yeah. The kid just means a lot to me. Um, and I think it meant a lot to Chaplin. Um, there's something that I want to write about it for my blog. Um, and, uh, I need to do more research for it, but I want to do that. So, but yeah, the kid, obviously, as everybody can tell, can means a lot to me and it's just it's just a part of me and you know it just kind of covers my love of chaplain and silent film making mm-hmm. and um you know it's not a perfect film but it's only like 51 minutes so mm-hmm. which is always a sweet spot for films like that but yeah yeah the kid from 1921 um all right i don't know how you're gonna follow that one up pal but
0: <laughs> yeah Thanks for putting this pressure on me.
1: You're welcome. Hey, man, it's what I do.
0: (laughs) So, uh, the last movie I'm going to talk about today, it's not my favorite movie, but it's the movie I think about the most.
1: The Rise of Skywalker.
0: Yes. (laughs) The Rise of Skywalker. I'm now going to talk about the final Star Wars movie for the next half hour be prepared. <laughs> I just want to make sure that movie uh I was I saw it alone on my 19th birthday and I I don't remember rolling my eyes that hard at any movie in a the theater ever before. <laughs> but the movie I'm really talking about today is Fallen Angels from 1995, directed by Wonker Wai Fallen Angels is uh, a movie that perfectly captures how it feels to be depressed and unable to connect to anyone despite desperately trying to and be still being surrounded by tons of people yet still feeling isolated and instead of going for something draining and dour it's so full of life and it's funny and it's stylish and playful and it's everything you want a movie to be uh, there are multiple characters in this movie one is uh, a hitman who wants to get out of the life and another one is uh his uh partner a woman who they kind of start uh, getting feelings for each other but uh, they don't, they uh they can't commit and then there is one other character, which is uh, played by Takashi Kaneshiro who uh, who uh, stopped stalking since he was six after eating an expired can of pineapple which is a reference to Chunking Express where Takashi Kaneshiro's character continues to buy Pineapple every day for like a month after his girlfriend broke up with him.
1: Right. It's a nice little uh Easter uh, connection.
0: Yeah, it's it's also the Fallen Angels was originally intended to be the third installment of Chunking Express.
1: Oh really? I didn't know that. That's interesting.
0: So you you could say like Kanashiro who it's not only mute, he also mm. because he can't find a job, he breaks into other people's stores or restaurants yeah. at night and and runs uh, a business out of them and kind of like like he one day he works at an ice cream truck and then mm. he he just like kidnaps people and forces them to eat ice cream. It's really like his way to try to connect with people. Right. Because he can't talk, and like even though he claims that he he wasn't able to talk since uh, because of eating the pineapple, like it's clear from what he tells you because he has a voiceover that uh, mm-hmm. that he stopped talking after his mother. I I can't remember if she passed away or just left him and his his father.
1: Yeah. I think she might have passed away, because I've... Okay, so this is the second movie on your list that I've seen, so... Um, I think she might have passed away, or it might have been ambiguous, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. But, like, he's such a madcap character, but... Mm-hmm. Who seems to be, like, the comic relief of the movie, initially. Yeah. But it's him and his relationship with his father that ends up breaking your heart. Hmm it's like it's also need to be said like Wonka Rai really utilizes every aspect of movie making you can imagine Mm -hmm. like it's such a outlandish looking movie that sometimes looks like it's shot from the perspective of a drunk person and then like I always joke my favorite, like my ideal movie would be Wong Kar Wai doing a John Woo inspired Hong Kong action movie, and this is wow. the closest I will ever get to that. Yeah, because like there, I I told you about the Hitman character before. You see a couple of hits, and there's also a food fight later on, and Wong spins every action sequence into this blurry abstraction because he's more concerned with capturing the chaos and unpredictably, unpredictability of the situation than to make it seem exciting. It just like, it's such a great way to show action.
1: Mm. Yeah. This is one that I don't remember much about, but I've seen it. Shame it's on you.
0: Of... It's perfect.
1: <laughs> I never said it was a bad movie. I just don't
0: remember it that well. Um... Like, this is another movie that, like, even though I know every scene by heart, like, it still surprises me every time. Like, it's yeah. so much going on.
1: Right. You find new stuff in it.
0: Yeah. It's... Uh... There's something about loneliness in movies that just like hits me every time. Like if it's portrayed well, and I think yeah. a lot of, again, a lot of cinephiles can relate to that.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think I think in general, Ron Car Y portrays that well from yeah. what I've seen. Yeah,
0: um, he does. I need to see more of his work. I feel like I do too. Like he's probably like my top five, one of my top five directors. But wow, I've, I've kind of been savoring his movies in a way because yeah. I don't like like plenty of people would argue he hasn't made a good movie since like two thousand and four. Oh, so, yeah. So and he hasn't made he only has made two movies since then. So. Like yeah uh, there I, I will be running out of his masterpieces quite soon. Um
1: yeah he's he's somebody that I I don't struggle with, but I just I need to study more.
0: He is uh You know, it's it's not easy to get into like I once took uh friends to see Trunking uh, Express in a theater and I kind of forgot how that movie is not as accessible as I think it is like it's kind of a weird movie that you have a, a, a girl who's in love with a guy and she uh, breaks into his apartment to move stuff around while he isn't there like and that's a very romantic gesture. gesture I, I think if you buy into the fantasy of the movie, but if you don't, it's just like, who's this crazy bitch? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to be
1: like, hell yeah, breaking into people's apartment just to move shit around. Hella romantic. <laughs>
0: but yeah. It is you in mean, that movie. Like,
1: According to the logic of the film, as a film yeah, professor of mine would say.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I kind of want to re-watch Fallen Angels now, but it's already late and I need to be up early tomorrow. Okay. Uh, do you have any
1: honorable mentions? Because I do.
0: Yeah, I had a couple. Like I, I uh, For an animated pitch, I almost went with It's Such a Beautiful Day. Mm-hmm. The 2012... Stick Figure Animated Movie by Don Hertzfeldt Hertzfeld. which is my personal choice for favorite movie of uh the 2010s or even the 21st century but wow. um, but like it's personal favorite not best
1: yeah it's like saying uh Friday the 13th part 5 is the best movie of the 1980s exactly Exactly okay. like that. Just the
0: same thing.
1: <laughs> the, the movies could just almost be the same, right?
0: Yeah. Okay. Another one was uh, Meet Me in St. Louis. Yep, you and I
1: both love that movie. Yeah. We'll probably do I, an episode on that at some point.
0: Yeah, we we really should. And, yeah. uh, I also almost went with Harold and Maude, which <laughs> is uh, my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, yeah. Which is such a cliche thing to say when yeah. you're 19 years old. <laughs> Do you want me to tell the joke that I always... Uh... I mean, it's the only time it would fit to say on okay. air.
1: Um, so, uh, Leonard one time said to me, he's like, man, I wish I wasn't, you know, I wish I was old enough to where I could have worked at a video store. And I said, yeah, that's a that's a funny image. I said, this would be you at working at a video store. Guy walks into the video store. Hey, I'm really depressed and in love with my friend's grandma. Do you have a movie recommendation for me? Leonard, without looking up at his, up from his book, points to Harold and Maude on the shelf.
0: It's also, it would be my, uh, my, uh, worker's pitch, I guess. Like, I would, I, it would always be somewhere on the shelf. <laughs> just, you just like, move it around. Yeah, just, like, (laughs) putting people's faces, like, they're, they're like, looking at, like, the new Ghostbuster movie, and I'm just sitting there, like, hey, take (laughs) attention, but pushing it in their faces, like, then I get
1: fired. Be like, and then people be like, can you just recommend a movie to me? Harold and Maude. Okay. Another one. (laughs) Another one? Harold and Maude (laughs) 2. Um, I have... I have problems making decisions, but I'll try and keep this I brief. I have
0: noticed.
1: Yeah, know. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, for my art house one, was a little bit murky. Um, I had two choices before, um, Day for Night. I wanted, I went originally with The Fire Within, the Louis Mao film, which is a very personal film for me, um... I kinda expected you to pick that one today. Yeah. I almost did. It was it's super close, but like day for night it just felt right. And then the other one that I was going to pick that was in serious running was um Fox and His Friends. The Fastbender film. Um Bender. Yeah, Bender. <laughs> you and I both love Bender. Yeah. Um it just I love that movie to bits. and then the other art house one that first came to mind when I was making my little categories um was Carlos hereregatos's art time because I uh, went to see it in a theater um and I remember I was texting a friend who was asking me what I was doing. I was like, yeah, I'm just going to see a three hour movie about an open marriage. And he just replied back, that is so you to see a movie like that though So I was like, that that's a possible pick. Um. For my crime pick, I almost picked uh, "Only God Forgives." Okay. Um, which I watched in a film class. And um, right. For my silent ones, I almost picked uh, two movies that I really beat the drum for: uh, Lon Chaney's "He Who Gets Slapped" and "The Crowd."
0: I also was really expecting the crowd today. Yeah. Um uh fun fact. Not the I movie, have... but people cheering outside of my window <laughs> while I was doing this podcast.
1: Go go Leonard. what is what is go in Dutch?
0: Oh no, we say go as well.
1: Oh damn it. I was gonna we were gonna learn some Dutch with Leonard today.
0: I mean literally translated it would be ha. Okay. <laughs> But, um,
1: and then, um, I almost picked Texas Chainsaw for my artful horror pick, um, but.
0: Which is a perfect movie. mm
1: Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, one time I watched it, I watched that with my dad, and he was expecting, like, a bloodbath. Mm Mm-hmm. And when the movie got over, he goes, that wasn't even a massacre, that was more like a mild skirmish. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Also, uh, just two more movies that I was going to put in my crime, um, Thief, Michael Mann's Thief, and then a movie that was very formative to me in my Dark Knight is Peak Cinema Days, mm-hmm. uh, Coen Brothers Fargo.
0: I almost uh, went with Blood Simple. Yeah, that's a good choice. Instead um, of Killists cool and I mean, I just I went with Gillis eventually.
1: I just realized you had two movies about assassins on your list. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's weird, man.
0: Um, but yo, you you need to have ambitions in life, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Don't knock it.
1: Don't knock it till you tried it, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but um. This is a good time, man. Uh, Everybody got to hear me cry. Yeah. Um, So we got that knocked out of the way, which is good.
0: It won't happen again, you promise? Even when we start talking about the Rise of Skywalker?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I can't promise I'm never going to cry in the podcast again. Uh, But, yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel about cinema. It's an empathy machine. Haters.
0: Hello there, Roger Ebert. <laughs>
1: hey, I told you we were Siskel and Ebert. Who am I in that scenario? Um. Since I'm the larger fellow, I'm gonna <laughs> say I'm Ebert, and you're Siskel because
0: you have the hair. <laughs> okay. I, I'm. Yeah. That works, I guess. <laughs> that works. We can go I, with I, that.
1: It was sort of a spur of the moment joke and, I also uh, like
0: doing cocaine in Playboy mansion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I would be the one more likely to write behind the Valley of the doll, beyond the Valley of the Dolls as well. That's true. Um Uh anyway, let's in this puppy in for a landing. Uh this is your pilot, Jake Lindberg. Uh, we're going to bring this episode in for a landing. Um, you should mention where
0: people can find us.
1: Yep, that's where I was just about to go. Uh, <laughs> okay, where do people
0: find you, buddy? Uh, people can find me, like I said before, on Twitter as Monsieur Marlowe. But you can, if you Google Leonard Robert, you can find me as well. Like there are no other people using that name. Um, where can they find you, Jake?
1: They can find me in the club, bottle full of
0: bub. No, I'm kidding. Um, the clubs aren't open. It's trophy ties, baby. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, people can find me on Twitter. Um, at Spade Archer
0: Um, we are both uh named after. Yep, uh, Private fl- Eyes. Yeah, also played by Humphrey Bogart.
1: Yep. Two detectives played by Bogey. Um, you can also find me. I didn't mention this at the top of the show. I have a blog. It's called Sea for Cinema. And that has its uh, own account. And that's where the show will be posted. Mm-hmm. As well as your uh, hopefully normal things where, excuse us, we're still figuring all this stuff out. Um, yeah, it's only the pilot. Uh,. You can find that account at C underscore 4cinema. And um, I know my end of the year stuff should be up by then. And um, Yeah.
0: um, So how do you want to end this one, pal? I think uh, you can uh, tell the listeners that our next episode will be about... Roger Corman's 1960 uh, Poe adaptation, *The House of Usher*, starring Vincent Price. I'm already gonna say it; it's going to be a a good episode.
1: Yeah, I feel pretty good about it. I think. Yeah, we we already recorded
0: it because we're time travelers. Yes. um, How do you travel through time? um, A phone booth.
1: How do you travel through time? I hope the? that. All right. Uh, everybody, uh, keep it real and do some good out there. Bye, everyone. Bye. What kind of beer do you like?
0: Heineken! Heineken! Fuck that shit! Pabst Blue Ribbon! A talking picture. Goodbye.